Obviously, we're not physically together, but there's no reason why spirit can't communicate over the internet. Nothing's gonna happen. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. This is Rob Savage. And this is Jeff Shepard. You're joining our virtual seance with the Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 147. Joining us in the Speakeasy studio are two absolutely thrilling creators. First, a writer, director, and producer who's worked on several acclaimed short films, such as Multiplex, South by Southwest, 2020 Grand Jury Prize nominee, Double Tap, Birdemic 2, and more. Also joining us is a writer, director, who after filming his first feature film, Strings, at the age of 18, went on to win the BFI Future Film Award for his movie, Sit in Silence, going on to do a series of shorts, features, and commercials. Together, these guys make absolute magic. In 2015, they debuted their collaboration with Absence, followed it up with 2016's award-winning and Sundance film-nominated Dawn of the Death, and the tremendously ambitious and terrifying two-minute-long Salt, which won Best Horror Short and was the official selection at over a dozen festivals. Their new film is called Host. It's been out for less than a week at time of release, and it's not just the most talked about horror film in decades, but one of the most discussed films in, in years. Quickly earning the coveted and rare 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, but also a steady stream of accolades from people such as Joe Hill, Elijah Wood, and embraced by the horror community at large. A 56-minute horror film shot during the global pandemic, and with that as its background, has tapped into something extraordinarily visceral and intimate. That makes this work more than just a time capsule, but a deep-rooted journey into fear itself, its mechanics embedded into our daily reality. Screen Rant says Host isn't just an impressively crafted horror. It's a film experience that pervasively welcomes you in. This little short horror film pulls off the kind of feat all horror movies should aspire to. We are honored to welcome its creators, director, and writers, Rob Savage and Jed Shepard. Yeah! Wow. Yeah. Holy crap. That's yeah. an amazing intro. Thank you. Yeah. Can we employ you for something? Can you can you be ahead yeah. of us every time we do an event? That's amazing. <laughs> we are down. We are down. Well, guys, yeah. thank you again for both being here and congratulations on the success of this film finding its audience. How does it feel for you guys? This is a lot all at once. Yeah, it is. It's very weird. Like everything during these pandemic times, it's very weird. It, it doesn't really feel quite real yet because we made the movie with our friends who we were already getting drunk on Zoom with and hanging out with constantly. And we just got drunk on Zoom with them, but made a movie. And now we're getting drunk with them on Zoom and reading the reviews. And we, we basically stayed in the same place. So it really doesn't feel like it feels like some beautiful dream that I've had. Like I've fallen asleep on my couch and, uh, you know, from playing video games till 3am and I'm going to wake up from it. It's very, very weird. That's the best. Yeah. Jed, how about you, man? It's, it's been just surreal. And I don't think myself and Rob, me, me and Rob had like lunch yesterday and we were just, we both almost couldn't put into words like how we were feeling because 
it's so unexpected. It's it's just really unusual. And we, we kind of half expected if we'd like it, then maybe the horror community would like it too. But it goes beyond that. It's it's like the New York Times and just ev- everyone. It's insane. And That's like I, some of the stuff that, that the, the horror press is saying is unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah. It sounds so shit on paper, a Zoom horror movie, and we were we thought that we thought that the re- response would be pretty mixed, and that there would be people who um, would just see it as a gimmick. But it's it's what's been really amazing is that it's been it's been it's so lovely that the horror community rallied around it so early on, and that was really who we made it for. And if if it had just ended there, we would have been we would have been incredibly happy. But the fact that it's kind of entered the mainstream in this amazing way is uh that's something we never expected i just love how humble you guys are about this and taking it in stride it, it just makes us even more happy that the success is going to a pair of filmmakers like yourselves it's just the best probably the best thing about this whole thing we want to get into your horror histories and find out more about kind of the temple this film is built on and what are the horror films that have turned into your respective artist palettes the, the ones that have defined the experience of a horror film for you guys uh, yeah. Myself and Rob have very similar tastes, and I think we, we wear it on our literally we wear it on our chests. Um, <laughs> this is a Freddy shirt. I'm currently yeah. wearing a Nightmare on Elm Street three T-shirt, and Rob's wearing an Evil Dead two T-shirt, which are pretty much up there with our favourite movies. But for, for me, um, one of my favourite movies of all time is actually my Zoom background right now. Um, is Night of the Comet? It's ni- 1984 classic starring Kelly Maroney and Catherine Mary Stewart about a comet that kills everybody and these two girls uh sisters don't really fight the zombies very much they just loot shops and kind of just dance around to girls just want to have fun machine guns shoot machine guns <laughs> yeah and that sense of fun in a horror movie which you also get from evil there too is kind of where i'm at i want to have fun when i'm watching a horror movie not only get scared but i want to be entertained i think that's kind of why that's kind of why our partnership works so well is because I'm like, like I'm way more pretentious than Jed is. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, like I was a really like insufferable, pretentious teenager. And I was really like, I was, I've always been into horror movies, but it was kind of like a dirty secret and well, it wasn't a dirty secret, but like I was equally into the most art house of art house movies. And I, and I still, and I still am like, I absolutely balance like, extreme, extreme art house with extreme trash. And I think that's kind of where my aesthetic comes together. And, and, you know, like, I think if, if, if I wasn't working with Jed, Jed would be making like kind of poppy eighties movies. And if Jed wasn't working with me, I'd be making austere kind of like a 24 horrors that, that only see. And like, I think yeah. the fact that we kind of meet in the middle and we can make something that's fun and has this kind of sense of being a roller coaster ride, but that also has a bit of bite to it, which, you know, which, which I'm always pushing for that. It, it's kind of, it's kind of the formula that we've been, we've been working with for the past yeah. few years. My, my thing in, in oh, sorry. I was just going to say my, my thing with, with, with horror movies and, and one thing me and Rob kind of discuss when we're coming up with a, with a new film is we want to just want to be excited by it. And, and I think there should always be an, an, a fuck yeah moment in a horror film. I like just fuck yeah. And also an, Oh fuck. It's the two, it's the two fucks. You just need the two fucks and, in a horror movie, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> that is yeah. incredibly well said. You define the whole genre in two words. I love it. So, how did yeah. you? Well, speaking on that, how did you guys first meet? Was it back in Absence 2015? Was that the first real collaboration that you guys did? No, I did a, I, I did a, a stupid, um, 
like comedy sketch video that Jed's like for some reason found really funny and messaged me about on Twitter. And then we like one minute short, one minute short. And then what we met in like Greenwich, Greenwich Park and like chatting about horror movies. And then Jed took me to see Night of the Comet as like a test and I liked it. And then we were able to be friends. That's like, yeah, don't like Night of the Comet, then we're not allowed to hang out with Jed anymore. It's true. So, and, yeah. and also in that very first meeting, I pitched him uh, Dawn of the Death, which is almost like our signature kind of film that we were known for for quite a while. I think um, that was our biggest, um, kind of, you know, the, the, the biggest thing we'd done. And, um, you know, str- like straight, straight away, like I remember the first, first time we met and you pitched me Dawn of the Death, I was like, fuck, that's a great idea. Um, and I remember being very, like, very jealous of it. Um, so I'm glad, <laughs> I, I'm glad that we were able to work on it together because I'd, I'd still be stewing if not. Yeah, but then we we kind of decided okay that's that idea is a little bit too big for our first collab, so we decided to do something a little bit smaller, uh, and we did absence, and uh, we just put our money together. We stuck a, a few hundred quid here and there. Rob managed to convince two hundred quid. Two hundred quid that movie cost. Crazy, and we um, Rob managed to convince Paul McGann to star in it, and um, yeah, that was our first test of the festival circuit as well, which was which was cool. Let's go back to April of this year uh, that we understand is kind of when the seed was planted for host over a a Zoom prank that you did on your friends. So explain what that was for those who didn't manage to see it. I mean, it's everywhere on Twitter if you want to look it up. Well, basically, like we'd um, we'd been hanging out with like all the people you see in host in front of the camera and behind the camera, just our friends anyway, who we've worked with before or, or, you know, have acted in our movies. And we were already hanging out. We'd, we'd formed this thing called the Quarantine Movie Club where we watched kind of like bad 80s movies every day on Netflix party. And um, so we're already hanging out. And over the past few months, like I just moved into this new place and I started to become convinced that there was somebody living in my attic above my bedroom because it was the one place in my new uh, in my new flat that I hadn't been able to check out because I didn't have a stepladder. So I told I told the guys about that pre-lockdown. They'd taken the piss out of me like a stupid horror movie character. I hadn't bothered to go and look up there. Then suddenly lockdown happens and I'm locked in my house with potentially a serial killer living above <laughs> yeah. So I so I, you know, I, I get the guys on Zoom. I'm like, well, you've got to, you know, you've got to be my my emotional support while I go up here. And um they all press record on their Zoom and I and I I took them up. But little did they know I'd already been up there before. There wasn't a serial killer there, but it had reminded me of the scene in Wreck where the guy puts his camera up and the zombie child jumps out. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I can, uh, I can cut this together and, uh, and convince them that I've been eaten by a zombie. And um, so I kind of figured out this way. I built this little contraption out of like, uh, cardboard, like wasn't toilet it? rolls and cardboard and stuff that I put on my laptop. And I basically just, I basically was like on Zoom on my phone. And then I did a very sneaky little transition and was able to like fix my phone in front of my laptop screen, play them the scene from Wreck without them realizing they were watching a clip. Whoa! Uh, and then they thought, yeah. and they, you know, they thought that I'd been, I, I had my face eaten off by a zombie and, um, and reacted as such. And we'd got it all on film and I cut it together as a little, a fun little thing. And we put it online. And within like a day, it got like, million like a million views on the first day and it just went from there and it was just this crazy thing that that we all got really excited about because we'd just been you know 
like everyone, we've just been sitting on our asses, like wanting to do something creative. And, and um, even though it's even though it's just a stupid prank video, it still like gave us a bit of a creative buzz. And you know, we, we, we're kind of never people to 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 just leave things at that. We always want to like try and one up it. So we we started immediately about like, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing we can do? And you know, because because I'd pulled this prank, nobody trusted me anymore. So I couldn't pull another prank. So I was like, oh, well, we've got to, we've probably got to make something, uh, you know, a bit more conventional. Why don't we try and make a movie? And also, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but at the beginning of lockdown, like the joke was, oh, well, who's going to be the first person to make a movie on Zoom? And, you know, and it was kind of just this kind of slightly sarcastic um, comment that was going around. And a couple of months in, nobody had done it. So we were like, well, fuck it. Why don't we do it? That's awesome. So at that point, so, okay. So April went, the video's going viral. You guys are getting this, this idea together. We're going to one up it. And is that the point where Jed comes in and a script is written is something improvised? How does that, how does that kind of work? Well, so I, like I called, I called Jed about the idea of doing it, doing it as a feature. And he was like, okay, let me think on it. And then like, I went to, I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I had like a text from Jed on my phone and it just had um, two words. It had Zoom seance. And I was like, okay, I'm in. And that was yeah. it. That was the genesis of my idea. That's all you need. I'm good with two words, I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything longer than I struggle. Salt circle. Yeah, it holds true. <laughs> um, uh, we, we, like, we needed to do it as fast as possible because we were afraid that somebody else would do it and we were afraid that... You know, like things were changing day by day, you know, as, as they are right now, but, you know, e- even more so then in, in the kind of middle of lockdown. And we really wanted to make a movie that spoke to, the, the, you know, the, the feelings that everyone was having in isolation. And, uh, we, you know, we didn't want to make a movie that would come out three months after we're all outside yeah, again. Exactly. So, right. The, the last thing people want is a, is a reminder of all the shit that's going on right now. We, we wanted to make this as something that would be a little wink to our, you know, a little nudge to our kind of current situation, but it would just be this fun, like roller coaster horror movie that they could enjoy. And um, so, so, you know, that being said, we need to get it out fast. We immediately started like pitching it around. We pitched it to Shudder. We pitched it to a bunch of places. And literally all we had was the line Zoom Seance. So we went, we went to Shudder and the pitch was, it, I, I, I pitched to Shudder and I basically said, it's a bunch of friends and they do a Zoom seance and then something cool is going to happen. You've just got to trust us. And they were like, sure. His, oh, you know, wow. it's so, so great. So wow. Like they, they, they've, they've been so incredibly supportive. So they totally, and you know, and there were other people in the race who wanted to throw money into this project, but nobody got behind the spirit of it. And that was what was so important to us. Like, you know, me and Jed, you know, we're not about, we're not about money. We're not about any of the, you know, like we just, we just want people to get into the spirit of what we're doing. And that's the most important thing in any collaborator we look, we look for and like Shudder, really, they got it. They wanted it out as fast as possible. They wanted to throw as much support at us as possible. They wanted this movie to be a movie of the moment. And, and they, they, they left us to figure it out because that was what it was. It was a process of figuring it out. As far as film prep goes, did you guys do any seances to see what that would look like prior? Funny you say that. Go, go on, Jed. Tell, tell them about it. Oh, yeah. 
So um, yes, yes, we did, and and we've we, we filmed everything. So um, us speaking to um, all of the cast and the crew before starting, everything was recorded. So we have what I'm about to say recorded. So we wanted to test how the girls would, um, who are our friends, by the way, how they would react in a seance situation. So we we'd know what to write and kind of what would happen in a normal situation involving these people. So Rob knows, um, as you as you do, he knows a real medium whose job it is to uh, go around and, and, and speak to the spirits and give people solace and um, answers from, from beyond the grave. And um, so this, this seance we arranged with, with the girls also um, featured uh, the other co-writer, Gemma Hurley, and we needed her to see because she was meeting the girls for the first time as well. We needed her to see how these girls interact as well and what better situation than a real-life seance. Mm. So um, some of the things that happen within the seance is, frankly, crazy. Um, and and a lot of the things you see in the actual film come from the real-life seance. So we have on film as well, we have a situation in the real seance where Gemma feels something on her on her neck, on her shoulder, and then something flies off her bookshelf. And this is in the real seance. And she screams and she starts hyperventilating and crying. And we're like, and me and Robert look at each other like, this is gold. This is absolute gold. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. But yeah, so, so we knew how the girls would react in a real seance. We just needed to make that narratively interesting um, in, a, in a real movie. Oh, I want to see that footage. Wow, yeah. Oh my God. B-roll. There's there's some there's some news coming on a, on a on a behind the scenes and some extra host content coming soon. So um, there's like Jed said, there's there's so much great stuff because we filmed we filmed everything. You know, at, at any meeting like this, in meetings between me and Jed at the very inception of the project, talking about ideas, we filmed everything. So some poor soul is is wading through all that at the moment, trying to make a coherent behind the scenes. Yeah, those early meetings are mostly me and Rob saying, wouldn't it be fucking cool if we could do this? Yeah, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And you'll see a lot of that stuff in the actual film, just the coolest thing we can think of to spawn off, off a seance. That, that's all, what you see in Host. So all the actors you said, they were all your friends, so there was no auditioning process or anything like that that you guys had to go through to get these characters? The only guy who we hadn't, who to, still to this day we haven't, we haven't met is Teddy. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so Eddie. Um, I mean, I don't know how spoilerific you want to get. You want to go on this, but um, the, whatever the thing that happens to Teddy was something that we had on our wish list at the very beginning. Jed, the thing we had uh, we wanted to, to, to Teddy that was on our wish list at the very beginning of this process before we even had a concept. Really, we were like, we want to do X, Y, and Z, and we had them written down and um, and we showed them to our producer, Doug, and he was like, there's no way we can do this unless we find an actor who's fully trained, who is isolating with the right people, who has the right, re- the right resources, who's done it before, and um, which is a very narrow uh, group of people. And we were, very, we were very, very lucky to find Teddy, and we were so blown away by his acting reel. I think I would have cast him even if, even if he wasn't qualified to do all the other cool shit that we really wanted to do. But the fact that he was able to do both 
I think lends so much to the movie because you can see it's really him and that is really happening to him. And there's no, uh, you know, there's no VFX uh, CGI. hiding a double or anything like that. It's just real. Cause I was going to say, I mean, yeah, out of uh, everyone's experiences in the film, I mean, Teddy's is yeah next level. <laughs> we basically, we basically like we had, we had pretty solid like arcs, for at least like three or four of the characters. And then there are a couple of characters who we just didn't know what to do with. So we were like, well, let's just torture them. Let's just run them <laughs> through their paces. I mean, like that, that's, that's why, that's why Emma goes through, through so much stuff because, because me and Jed were like, well, what can we, what can we do with Emma? Why don't we just like, why don't we just throw everything at her and see how distraught we can make her by the end? Yeah. That's, that's why she gets, is if one, demise she gets multiple kind of things happen to her and it's yeah. a big long sequence that's to me one of the most impressive parts of the film is emma's sequence from the, the second she gets into the kitchen and sees the floating mask to what happens right at the end of her sequence yeah yeah uh, yeah i wanted to talk just about the script uh, a little bit and in terms of how much of that was because it feels very real it feels very off the cuff was the script written with improvisation in mind and, and, and kind of free moments for them to get to a certain plot point uh, based on their own improv skills or, or was it exactly scripted word for word? No, 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 that's exactly right. So we, we basically ended up with, I think a 10 page outline that me and Jed and, you know, again, I like, really want to shout out to, to Gemma Hurley because she's, um, I think she's really the reason that we have a film. Me and Jed, me and Jed, uh, we got really excited and we came up with a whole bunch of set pieces and all these cool ideas. And then Gemma really came and she, she made it into what it is. It's, it's, um, it was her kind of, uh, outside perspective, not knowing, not knowing the actors, not being part of our friend group. She was able to come in and say, well, this is interesting. This is what's interesting about Rodina and Caroline. And I think this is the tension and we want to build on that. And she was able to really, um, make us care. And, yeah. you know, which isn't, which isn't to say she didn't have a hand in the set pieces because she's also got a great fucked up mind for that kind of thing. But, um, but no, yeah. big, but we can do set pieces. We, me and Rob can do set pieces. We can do set pieces till we, till we drop. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, but I think it, it was, it was very, we, 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 were, we were so close to, to all of the actors. I don't think we, we, she picked up on things that we never would have, never would have thought of. And I think are actually the, a lot of the things that people are responding to the most in the film things that came from Gemma's observation. So um, kind of can't overstate that enough. And um, we, we knew that we were going to be relying a lot on the improvisational skills of the actors and the fact that they were friends. Basically, basically, like you said, what we did is we had um, little beats individually for each actor to hit during the scene. They knew the purpose of the scene. I kind of, I spent the week beforehand individually going through with them about the objectives of all of the scenes. And then, it was kind of a process of finding it on the day. So I, you know, the, the, the nice thing about shooting on zoom is you get to shoot for pretty much all of the day on a conventional shoot. There's so much time wasted, you know, setting up the lights, setting up the camera, doing the hair and makeup. Whereas this, there was no hair and makeup. Everything was set, you know, at the beginning, they were in their own homes. Um, and we were able to really experiment and, and, and to kind of, you know, we were able to try stuff out and, and, and have it not work and then try a different avenue. And it was a really kind of like free flowing process where, whereby kind of we'd, we'd start out with a very messy, long, sprawling take. It would be like, you know, five minutes of movie time would play as like 20 minutes of screen time. And we just, I just let them 
riff on whatever point they wanted to. Then I, you know, I'd be on Zoom hidden, watching them all. I'd be making notes. I'd jump back on. I'd say, this worked, this worked, try this, push this further, whatever. We'd rehearse it again. And then they dive in. And, and, and normally after two or three takes, we kind of arrived at something that was close to scripted. It was pretty much what, what ended up in the movie in terms of the shape of it. But, um, but what you see is kind of made up of all those different takes, the spontaneity of the first take and the structure of the last take. And it was, it was, I mean, it was fun. It was just really, really fun and, and creative, this whole process. You let them keep their real names. What was the advantage to that? I think one of the uh, influences in this is obviously the Blair Witch Project. And they, that was the first kind of found footage film that I saw that used the characters' real names. Like Heather Donahue went by Heather. And it added an air of realism to, to everything that happened because you knew that was her real name. So we wanted to add an air of authenticity to this straight away. So we have everyone using their real name. They're all friends. So, so their conversations feel real. We got Zoom's permission to use the Zoom graphical interface. So it's as real as you could possibly get. And, and that, that's basically why, because we wanted it to feel as real. We wanted the actors to feel like they were talking uh, real conversations with their real friends, which, which they were. Yeah, and that's exactly it. I mean, you know, so much of it was them responding in the moment, a lot of the, the, the reactions that they give are genuinely real reactions to things that are happening that they had no idea were coming. And, you know, we didn't want a great take where they're terrified and they accidentally yell out their friend's real name rather than the cat's <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we were like, they're going to be screaming each other's names. We may as well just keep it simple. Well, let's, I mean, let's hit that as far as surprising them and being able to surprise these actors. I'm assuming a lot of the visual effects were done and set up by the actors themselves in their own homes, I would imagine. Or did you have a socially distanced VFX team go to their homes and set up, set these effects up and everything and the scares? VFX, VFX would come onto Zoom and they'd, you know, they'd watch through Zoom and they'd say, move it a little left, move it a little right. And they'd have to... Steve Bray, who's our VFX supervisor, had to supervise remotely, which is for the for the level of effects we're going for. That's a big ask, but you know he both you know both him and the actors absolutely smashed it out of the park. How to get them to react? Well, the first thing you pretty well answered. I mean, what they were reacting to and what they were being surprised by, as far as the VFX and how that was incorporated. But there's also a lot of kind of what looks like practical effects: chairs sliding across rooms with people on them things flying off shelves, all this chaos. And I would imagine that would either have to be done by the actors themselves in their homes or like a socially distant VFX team at the place setting up these things and rigging them so that you don't have to, I mean, unless some of these actors are literally setting everything up and pulling wires and having everything fall down and then having to reset. How did that work? Exactly what you've just said. Really? They did it with old school effects. They did it with with fishing wire. They did it with, um, I got, uh, you know, the, one of the first things that, that me and Jed and, and, and Douglas Cox, our, our amazing producer, did at the very start of this is we, we kind of sat down on Zoom and we kind of came up with a list of cool people that we knew who we thought would be game for this because, you know, the whole industry was sitting at home twiddling their thumbs wanting to do something. So we we got people like, the amazing Dan Martin, who did some of our special makeup effects for Caroline's scene. We got um, stunt people involved. And, and, you know, one of the one of the people we got involved was a, a, a kind of um, practical effects, pyrotechnics guy who we'd me and Jed had worked with on Salt. Um, and he made 
little contraptions for the actors. Like um, he made these little remote control like pushers that you could hide behind doors or in cupboards that would make the cupboards explode just by pressing a button off screen. <laughs> oh, oh, one. I one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. We sent all these to- we sent all these toys, and they basically just you know happily trashed their, their kitchens and their living rooms and and um, just generally made a mess. That is genius. That's genius. The Boo Crew will be right back. Did you ever wonder what it would be like? to be one of the last people on Earth. We're talking ghost town! Who would you see? There's nobody. I mean, there's nobody. Ah! What would you do? Hey, I'm sorry if the end of the world makes me a little nervous. Where would you go? The stars are up ahead! Well, get ready to find out, because the comet is coming into your orbit. The legal drinking age is now 10, but... You will need ID. Let's be real. Night of the Comet. I'll be taking requests from all you teenage comet zombies. The night the teenagers ruled the world. The movie is so effective in terms of cutting to the chase immediately. We see our first uh, scare in like the first three minutes of the movie. How did the decision come about to make this a shorter feature length movie in terms of a runtime? Can I just quickly say something? Because it's only 56 minutes, do we qualify for a sweet scream award? <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> you got it! Hell yeah! I lo- Dude, I love, again, an uh, hour and a half is, is in the sweet spot for me because if you could tell an effective story in an hour and a half, you're brilliant. 56 minutes, man. Yeah. I've never even seen that done he before. Was, let me tell you, he was so excited when we turned it on. He was like, holy oh. shit, it's 56 <laughs> minutes. That's amazing. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, was it John Squires? He said, or someone said, um, normalize 56 minutes, uh, 56 minute movies. Yeah. Um, it does seem to be the sweet spot. You're right. But I think Rob can say more about why why it was quite... Oh, I mean, like it was just one of the ideas that me and Jada had when we started out. Like we just thought it'd be really funny if the characters were about to die and your free Zoom meeting got cut off. And it really just came from there. It was like just a stupid joke that me and Jed wanted to have at the end of the movie where they, they, they count down for the free meeting. Yeah. Runs out. <laughs> um, so it was meant to be, it was meant to be 40 minutes. Um, Cause that's what a free Zoom meeting is, but we had too much good stuff to get it to 40 minutes and, and, and you know it's it's it kind of runs on movie time, so it's meant to be a, four, a forty minute meeting that just runs fifty six. But um, yeah, did you guys when you reached out to Zoom, did they unlock any like secret features or anything? Did they heighten the experience so you could work with it in different ways that hadn't been done before? They yeah, they, they, well, I mean we we ended up actually like the the movie that you see on Shudder, there's not a frame of Zoom in it. That's we made we made all of those interfaces ourselves, just based on Zoom. We, the original plan was to screen record real Zoom calls, but like some of our actors, like Teddy lives out in the countryside and his internet is like moves at a snail's pace. And we, you know, we were basically just very afraid that we'd spend all this money on an amazing stunt or something and the internet would cut out or whatever. So the way that we did it is we got we got 
them all iPhones. When I say we, D- Douglas Cox, again, the producer, had this, this brainwave of, of getting them all iPhones, sticking them behind the laptop so that, so that the, uh, the camera phone lines up with the laptop, uh, the laptop um, camera. And, um, you're getting exact, pretty much exactly the same image as we see on Zoom, uh, but on the phone without any interference from the internet. So I was able to monitor it on Zoom and you know, approve things via Zoom, but then we'd have a high quality thing that they'd taken on the phone. And um, like one one thing, I, like I always try and mention this because it just shows it just shows that, like the only reason this film exists is because everyone involved just put in one hundred and ten percent effort and, and worked crazy hours and like didn't sleep basically for three months. And um, the Zoom layout that you see every time you cut from a speaker view to a grid view and you see the names of all the characters, you see the top and bottom bar a new character enters and you see, you know, you see the, the total amount of attendees go from five to six. That's a new graphic that had to be added in and the time code had to be typed in by hand. There's over 3,500 Zoom graphics. It's almost, almost 4,000 different graphics that needed to be typed in time code by time code. And Douglas Cox, our producer, literally did that. He spent three days not sleeping, going in, typing it up so that in post our editors could add that in and make it look like a seamless Zoom call insane oh my God. were there any challenges filming it like this like were there one specific scene that was really hard to film that you guys had to do over and over again uh yeah the 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 scene with again i don't want to i don't, don't want to go too spoilery but the scene in emma's kitchen with the with the face filters we shot that about four different times just to try and figure out it was coming at such a it's, and this, this wasn't really anything. This wasn't really anything to do with filming it remotely necessarily. I suppose the format, shooting the fan footage format, means that you can't hide behind a lot of the tricks that you would use if you were shooting in a conventional way. You know, if something looks slick and it looks pretty, then people will forgive it a lot. But because the whole point of this is that it looks like shit, there's only so much. Um, it's only so many ways you can kind of cheat an audience. You've really got to buy the character decisions and you've got to buy, you've got to buy that this is happening in real time. And that, you know, that was an important thing for us is that it felt like it was developing in real time and the characters were reacting maybe stupidly, but at least in a grounded way that, that felt, you know, felt relatable. And that was such a pivotal moment of, um, I think Gemma described it in the script as like, the shark is still in the water kind of feeling of like the, the, the seance has been shut down, but there's a kind of the audience knows there's this lurking presence and just pitching, pitching that scene just right took, took so long and it was so much harder because we were having to do it remotely and everything was having to be filtered through the actors filming themselves and um, think, things, things like that where you'd normally have cheat codes on a normal set, you just didn't on this one. But that's what made it more fun as well. Playing with negative spaces has been very effective in found footage type horror movies, such as the camera holding on a dark hallway or a room scene where nothing happens. Why do you think such a setup is still so effective in scaring the audience? For me, it's obviously the fear of the unknown. It's, you're, you're more scared of what you can't see than what you can. If, if there's a ghost standing there, then you, you know what you're getting and and that, that's, that's what's going to scare you. But if there's negative space, it's the thought of what could be there. That's the scary thing. That's totally so, right. I think when we first started watching it, it was like that the way that Haley's setup is done where you're looking over her shoulder at that door 
open into that dark hallway, your eyes are on that the whole time waiting for something. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the movie right there. You know, I can have yeah. to be good for me. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. There's a scene that me and Jed talk about a lot from uh, the innkeepers, which is a film that we love. Yes. It's the scene where, um, where it's Pat Healy and Sarah Paxton and they're in the basement and they're sitting cross-legged facing each other. And, she suddenly stops and looks over his shoulder and describes what she's seeing, but we never see it. It's one of the scariest scenes that I can, that I can think of. And it's so much to do with what you make in your mind. And we were always referencing that in this movie, you know, there's a bit without spoiling it. There's a bit where, where Haley points off at something that the camera doesn't see and says, do, do you see that? And, um, and goes and takes her Polaroid camera and takes a shot of it. And that was basically our homage to that scene and the idea of what you can't see is always going to be scarier. This isn't the first time that you guys have played with sound as a character. Right? Dawn of the Deaf, for example, is all about the unique way that the sound is mixed. Now here, what we have is a very interesting thing, the complete absence of score. What do you think that that does to a viewer? Yeah. I'll just say it's just another thing that adds to the realism of it. You don't get music in Blair Witch. You don't get music in Paranormal Activity. If there was music, if there was a score, it would immediately take you out of, of the, the found footage scenario and you would realise you're watching a film. But the fact that you're watching real friends talk about real things, no score, just yeah. just the sound of their voices is what, what makes the film. Can you, think of any found, can you think of any found footage movies that do have score? I think maybe maybe I think Diary of the Dead has score, but that's the only one I can think of. Yeah, I can't think of any. I can't think of any found footage that no has a score. I mean, a little bit in Wreck, in one of the later Wrecks. There's a, there's a little bit of a of a score with the drum pipe thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know it's the same as the negative space. It just allows your mind to con- to conjure things and. Um, and I th- and, and I think it's it's just another it's another challenge. Like I think a lot of a lot of the scariest movies are the ones without score. Like I, I always, I always think of the birds, you know, the, the Hitchcock movie, which has not, that's got no score in it at all. And actually he does amazing things with just the tonality of um, the sound design. And um, whereas Birdemic 2 does have a score. Um, I must yeah. That's why it didn't work. <laughs> Shout out Whitney Moore for Demick. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I told her I was coming on this, by the way. Oh, really? She says hello. Oh, yeah, she's awesome, man. Yeah, good friend of Bloody Disgusting. That's uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, so did the film have any other endings? I think we always we always had that ending again because we just thought it, we we thought it was funny and we kind of built the movie. We had the beginning and we had the ending and everything else in between was kind of a, a mush you know, when we started out, the thing that became apparent when we were shooting it was that the ending needed to be kind of bigger and nastier and louder than, than it, than it had been planned. The original plan that was in the script was, um, it was more kind of creeping around, creeping around the house and that, and, uh, it was a lot more low key. We still had the same, we still had the same kind of cheap jump scare ending which i love but like the the um, it's earned though it is an earned jump scare yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. yeah i love i love a good i love a good jump scare if it's if it's well done but um no no the, the, but but kind of like we, we this whole film this whole film was kind of being made 
day, day by day and we were figuring out what was working and what wasn't working and what was, uh, what was possible and what wasn't. And we started, we started with all of the stunts and all of the scares and all the set pieces. We did those individually with all the actors without telling the other cast what was happening. They had scripts that only had their character journey. So they had no idea who was going to die. They had no idea where the scares were coming. So which meant that we were able to play them these amazing stunts and scares and get their real reactions. A lot of the reactions you see in the movie is just them genuinely being terrified at the footage they're watching or, or thinking they're seeing their friends go through these crazy things, playing them in real time. Yeah. But what that meant was we shot all these crazy stunts at the beginning of the movie. They went really well. And then again, you know, because we're not, we're not filmmakers who, who kind of leave well enough alone I basically would just call up the producer and be like, you know, that thing we did on the first day where I've thought of something that's twice as cool. Can we do that? You know, can we do that for the finale? And so what we, what we ended up doing is as we went on, we, we kept adding scares, adding stunts, you know, which, which is why by the time you get to Teddy, it's just this fucking madhouse. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were figuring out all this cool stuff that we could do. And, and that end sequence that you talk, that you, you're talking about with the, with the camera, uh, me and Rob are massive fans of the Audrey Hepburn movie, Wait Until Dark, where she is trapped in a house. She's blind. She uses uh, lights in a and in, in a camera in, in a way that's similar to to this movie. So yeah, it's almost yeah. like an homage to, to Audrey Hepburn, really. <laughs> that's a great comparison. I'd forgotten about that. Right now, social media is a buzz with people rewatching Host and discovering a seemingly endless amount of. Easter eggs and uh, secret plots and there's fan theories on the relationship of characters, which is probably a lot of what you're saying. Gemma was probably bringing in there. There's people talking about, oh, well, it looks like Haley's got something going on at the beginning of the movie that might have <laughs> happened before. We don't know. Is there a relationship with with Teddy and Caroline and w- what's going on? There's references to the Simpsons, Alice, Sweet Alice and opening using the DMK from Night of the Comet. How much thought went into those things and have has everybody discovered everything that's that's uh that's in there yet no me and rob are just massive like horror geeks as well so i think every chance we get we're going to reference something that we love right. and when we were making salt there was there was a like one of the rooms was was dressed with lots of moving boxes like cardboard boxes and literally like just before we were shooting i went in there and i found jed with like a sharpie like writing addresses on the front of all the boxes from like famous horror houses, just in case fans could spot them. That's it's incredible. Like, we, yeah. just love, we just love this shit. And, um, and it's one of the address from creep show as well. That's one of the books that fluffy's in. Yeah. yeah. Um, that addresses. If you, if, if you pay really close attention to salt, you'll see in one of those boxes is fluffy. <laughs> So there's more references, like there's more film references that people haven't caught yet, obviously, in in host that would probably require pausing, looking very carefully in each of the girls' rooms, I'm assuming, is the best way yeah. to, to locate some of this stuff. There's, lo- there's lots of that. And there's lots of like, you know, because we weren't writing conventional script, we were able to just... Um, we were able to, 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 to try and find links between the beginning and, and what happens to the characters quite quite easily and have a lot of fun with that. And like, you know, one thing, one thing that you can do is you can watch back through the first five minutes and you, if you watch that first five minutes, you've got clues to every single beat of the movie hidden within what the characters do and say before they even get to the seance. You can see, you can find out 
you know, what scares are coming. You can find out how they die. You can find out details about the demon that they they summon and where where like Gemma's um, where Gemma's point of reference is when she when she spins her fake story might have come from. It's all it's all in that first ten minutes. Even though it feels very improvisational, there's all lots of Easter eggs we dropped in. So what about nice. some of these relationships between the characters? Are there things to watch for that answer some of those questions as well? Or is that left ambiguous? I'd say that's in there. We gave a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of the document that we gave to the actors was uh, was backstory stuff about, you know, I don't want to say because it it's fun seeing the internet, you know, bend over backwards trying to find these things. But like, you know, things like, what's gone on between Caroline and Teddy are things that the actors knew that we have, we have answers that we have answers to, but we, we basically just gave that as a little detail for the actors to, so there's, so there's some subtext and some history there. And it feels like a real group of friends. That's um, awesome. That must be so fun to watch people discover this without, you know, having it. You didn't tell anybody that right. Any of the audience and they're picking up on that subtext. I love that. In the last couple of days, there were a lot of people going, hang on, why did Hayley want to do a seance? And it's just like, everyone's running with that. Okay, this is the reason why she wants to do a seance. And just coming up with these amazing fan theories. And I'm here for it. I love it. <laughs> I love, I, especially the seance stuff, because there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of very, like very carefully plotted things that we put into, into the scene, scenes with Salem and, um, you know, when she gets cut, when she, what happens to Salem when she gets cut off versus when she re-enters the movie? I think there's, there's a lot of um, scary business that we, that we had in the back of our minds there that we kind of alluded to. Oh man, this is great. I mean, I don't know the last time that any film has kind of embarked people down, you know, down a rabbit hole like this since probably the Blair Witch. So it's so exciting to see happen in real time and especially during a time when <laughs> there's really not a lot else going on, you know, that's yeah. why, that's why we that's why there's so many details in there. Cause we literally just had nothing time on our hands to come up with. Dumb yeah. shit. And like the, the, my, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is, is lost. And I love the, the, the week you get between each episode of lost where all you do is you go into onto forums and you find out theories and you form your own theories and they, they get crazy and crazy and crazier. But some, but at some point you might stumble upon the truth. I've seen some people stumble upon a couple of truths, but they've got like zero I, and I haven't retweeted those ones. So just, it's, I don't want people to kind of like figure everything out straight away. Sure, sure. Um, no, that's great. Multiple rewatches is is the key. Yeah, seeing how massively successful Host has become and how everyone is talking about it. Do you guys have ideas or plans to bring forward a sequel or prequel? Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> I'm, I mean, very yeah. So myself and Rob, we have a lot of interesting, high concept film ideas. We're kind of known for being the guys that have these cool high concept ideas and some of them are being made with, with other people, etc. We have for the, for the next one, if we get a chance to make it, it will be, it will blow people's minds because people expect us to come out with host too. But what we're coming out with is something so much more. And if we get to make it, it's going to blow everyone's minds really well. well. That's why, that's why people need to rewatch it and get the numbers as high as they can on each other, <laughs> get the demand. Get the demand there because if there's if there's a demand, we've got something very cool for a follow up. Oh, that's so awesome! Nice. What we were thinking of, Lauren and I were like, "Hey, wouldn't that be cool if they did some sort of promotional, virtual promotional tour where the cast of hosts like calls you up and fuck you play with them? You know what I mean? You react to something going on with them, or there's some sort of immersive aspect to it. That'd be so cool. We were thinking of doing like a, a 
a competition or something where people could come and do a seance with the girls. But um, a real seance, a real seance, yeah, with a with a real medium and the girls. But um, uh, let, let's see. I don't know if the girls would want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving forward, I wanted to to mention that uh, news is out that you guys are working with Sam Raimi on a one location supernatural horror movie. What is the status of that? I know you probably can't say much, but is there anything you can say about that or at all? We've got a great script that's just come in that we're really excited about and you know, it's not a spoiler to say that it's in this. It's in a similar supernatural space, but it pushes kind of in, in a much different direction from host. I mean, the thing that I always say about it is that it's it's one of those ideas where you hear it. It's very simple, and you're amazed that nobody has done it before. I mean, when me and him first talked about it, we immediately Googled just to, and we we couldn't believe that nobody had happened upon this idea before. It's so it feels so kind of fundamental in the way that it tackles tackles the horror genre and uh yeah so we're, we're really hoping that when the world goes back to normal that'd be the next thing that we do outside of the found footage yeah. genre it's one of those, those ideas where like because i'm surrounded right you can't see it here right now but i'm surrounded by about 1200 vhs videos and i'm constantly watching old horror films from like the 70s and 80s thinking i it must be from this because it's, it's too good to be true but yeah. it, it's not it's it's original and uh it's going to be really, really cool. <laughs> oh, we can't wait! So, nice. what was what was Sam's gateway to you guys? He really loved Salt. He saw he saw Salt. He saw Salt and and was really keen to find something. And I met with him last time I was in LA, and and um, he's just like, you know, what we can say is is working with him is an absolute dream for both of us. He's he's honestly like our favorite our favorite filmmaker, and like a filmmaker who really inspired us when we both started making movies. And uh, to work with him and to have those like uniquely Sam Raimi ideas be kind of pitched across the table on, on, on our movie is um, it's wild. It's, I can't it's even, can't even imagine. Much, yeah. <laughs> to, to, today we, we, I think we're fine to say that we had a table read with him and just watching him get excited by stuff that we've come up with is, is such a pleasure. And when he gives you an idea, it's, you just think, Oh my god, that's that's just the greatest idea ever, and it just perfectly complements what we what we want to do. And um, being raised on Sam Raimi movies, it's just it's like a dream come true. It really is. Oh yeah. man! I mean, yeah, you're wearing an <laughs> Evil Dead Two T-shirt, Rob. Come on, it's <laughs> amazing. You walked out of the meeting. He did. Yes. <laughs> did anyone say anything? Does anyone say anything? Like, oh, I like a shirt. No, no. Sam, I think Sam saw it and didn't like, didn't yeah. respond. Give me this guy. Get out of the shot. <laughs> he, he has promised he's going to watch host this week, so we'll, we'll find out in, in, in a few days. Well, he does a home. if he doesn't hang. Oh no! <laughs> wow, he hasn't seen it yet. Well, that's that's really cool. That's so cool. Hey, did you yeah. guys when you have you, when you guys were last in LA? Did you see that museum set up where they had all the props and things that they uncovered from Evil Dead from all the all the films? Yeah, Rob, Rob the Mystic Museum. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, it was incredible seeing the original Evil Dead draft and the props and yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, it's yeah, it's crazy, and that was about that was about the time that this this movie was going through. So it was doubly surreal, like being amongst all that stuff. Okay, this is a personal question because I just I want to ask you. I love Shaun of the Dead. Are you guys close to like filming locations of Shaun of the Dead? Because that's all I would do during quarantine. I just drive. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, well, Sean and Zeb was mostly North London, right? And and me and Rob actually live on the same road. Rob's like 25 metres that way. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, um, when, we're not particularly close, are we? No, but I used to, I used to live on the same road that, that it was shot on. I used to live in Crouch End, which is where it was shot. And, um, and I do that, you know, that, that, that amazing big steady cam shot where he goes to the shops. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, that used to be my morning commute to so <gasps> get, get my paper. That's so um, cool. Yeah. No, I love, I, I love that movie. It's so, um, it's, you know, we, we, we don't make as many horror movies as we should, but you know, when we do and they're good, they're really good. And that's, yeah. that's one of my favorites. I, I used to live on the same road as the Hellraiser house, a few doors down. Whoa, the house. That's cool. It, yeah. Cause it was shot in London and they just used this big, there's this road that I used to live on with American style houses. And I snuck into that house a couple of years ago, the Hellraiser house, pretending that I wanted to buy it. I, I saw it listed and I was like, that's the Hellraiser house. And I pretended I got someone to pretend to be my wife and we were looking for our first home. And we, uh, <laughs> we went there. And, and the estate agent was just like, so you want to buy it? And I'm like, yeah, I'm really, really interested. Can you show me the upstairs floorboards, please? I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> was anything, was any interior shots actually done inside the house? Uh, yes, but they'd, um, rearranged everything and they put walls through half the house as well. So it's not as expansive as it is in the film, but it's still amazing to be there. It's like, it's and the, outside still, the outside is still pretty much exactly like, the same, exactly yeah. the same outside. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. And actually one more question for you, Jed, according to IMDB, you got a project called slashed in the works. I don't know the, the truth on that or whatever, but apparently it's got <laughs> Chris Martin, Dave Grohl, Moby and the band Ash. Is this a true oh, thing? Wow. And, and Weezer, and uh, it's, it's, it's got a ton of people. It's a weird project. It's, it's one I did many, many years ago. I was actually still in school when I, when I wrote it, and um, I was friends with the band Ash, or actually just a fan at that point. And uh, they said to me, they knew I liked horror, and they said, oh, can you make us a 15-minute script that we want to shoot on tour and put on a DVD? So I was like, okay. So I sent them this really, really stupid kind of trauma style, uh, like slasher script to, um, to Ash. And the next day they said, okay, cool. Coldplay want to be in it. Can you write their part? And I'm like, okay. And they were like, if we, and they said, if you, if we fly you out to LA, like Chris wants to meet you, he wants to talk about his role. And I was like, okay. Like, so went out there and there he was the first time I met Chris Martin and he had a pipe in his mouth, like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> no joke. And he said, Jed, my character's going to be called Sherlock Bones. Is that okay with you? And I'm like, sure. This film is ridiculous. Sure. They did that. And then, so I wrote it like backstage, basically, like, like at the Greek, like most of his part. And then, and then it was like, oh, Weezer want to be in it. Oh, Snoop Dogg wants to be in it. Like, this is, this, this is crazy. But, um, so it ultimately, what to cut a long story short, we shot about, 70 minutes of it it doesn't have a start and it doesn't really have an ending so uh over the last like five six years we've thought about releasing it somehow maybe making it into a documentary or something like talking head documentary which it'll blow up if it ever comes out but yeah we just don't, don't know what to do with it we've got so much amazing footage of all these like famous people getting hacked to bits uh they, obviously dave golden and that's it that's his line hacked to bits <laughs> he was hacked to bits <laughs> um, wow. nice. so awesome. it's like it's stupid it is stupid but um 
we've threatened to leak it and like, we'll see how Coldplay's lawyers uh, feel about that. Is Chris Martin a <laughs> horror fan? I mean, he was in Shaun of the Dead, so... That's right, he was in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I mean, he was very up for, like, chopping up Johnny Buckland from Coldplay. Um, and <laughs> so he told me, I want, I want to eviscerate Johnny. I don't even, what's eviscerate? What's, and he's like, I just, I just want to, like, chop him up. It's like, okay, okay. And so that's, that's what we did. And then um, it's, it's, it's the crazy. You can see, you can actually see clips of it online. I, I, it's not the greatest thing of all time, but like, it's funny and weird. And yeah. Hey, if bloody disgusting fans want to see Slash, then get in touch. And if, if there's enough uh, of a movement, then maybe you'll release yeah. it. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. The call yeah. is out, guys. Yeah. The call is out. Yes. Well, <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. We really appreciate it, yes. man. We love what you guys are doing and getting a chance to yeah. speak with you. It makes us even love it even more. Thank you so, so much. We're huge fans. So like, you're, the, the, the support that, that you guys have given this project is amazing. It really does mean a lot. I do really want that Sweet Scream Award, though. I haven't forgotten about that. <laughs> we'll send it to you. And yes. <laughs> love you guys. Like, thanks. Keep, keep making awesome podcasts. Hey, yeah. man, thank you. And uh, thanks for being a part of you. this one. We really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. See you soon. Take All care. Right. Later. Bye. Take care. Happy spookies. Happy spookies. <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories. 
if you're brave enough. 